Welcome back to the High Impact Physician Podcast. Today's episode, we have Karen Fowler, who is the CMO at SSM Health. Karen is someone with a really diverse perspective and an international focus. She's a dual citizen of both the US and Brazil. And on this episode, Sandy and Karen are talking about Karen's unique path into her executive role, starting as an OB and actually going through the payer side of things. So she has a great financial perspective that led her into that executive role. So talking about her unique path, also talking about when to know about the right time to make a career move, you know, when to jump off that burning platform. That's a great insights there. Also talking about the difference between your core values and your acquired values and the, the unique power that each of those can have in your life. And a really, really great gem towards the end about why telling someone to change doesn't work and what you can do instead to get better results. I really hope you enjoy this episode. So I'm really excited to dive in to learn more about your journey, your experiences, even your thoughts about well-being and the future. And I think one way to get started is to have you tell us a bit about you and how you got to where you are. Mm, That's a big open question, isn't it? It is a big open one. (laughs) Can I start wherever I want? You can start wherever you want. And actually, maybe we'll just go for like a couple of key points that maybe shaped you or framed you, and then we'll do some deeper dives further along in the conversation. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with my very first background, which is I grew up a dual citizen of both Brazil and the U.S. And I say that because I think it really has shaped who I've become as a physician and who I want to soon become in the next 10 to 20 years, because a lot of that growing up in two cultures has helped me see what all of healthcare can be, not just the U.S. healthcare system, which I think is just one part of the story and has defined some limitations in where I practice in U.S. healthcare and what I'd like to do internationally moving forward. I am an OBGYN by trade, did my residency there in Denver, met my husband in med school, and um, he's a family practitioner. And I think that too has set me up for a huge support system. Being married to a physician has given me so much unconditional support that I think has allowed me to do certain things in my career because of that. And I feel very blessed for that. My husband and I moved back to St. Louis and I did private practice, OBGYN, the full gamut of everything for a number of years. Then I went to OB hospitalist work, honestly, to open up my schedule as a mom of two kids, married to another physician, two call schedules in the household. So it gave me a little bit of brain space at that point, which I really needed to figure out what I was going to do next because I knew that I needed to do something next. Once I got into that schedule of hospitalist work, I decided to go ahead and get my other degree like you were talking about. And for about two years in that time period, I got, and I'm careful to say I got because I had the opportunity to go back and forth to Boston. It was an in-person program and experience life as an adult physician student and really enjoyed that experience finished my degree, and took a field trip, is what I say, on the payer side. And I worked for a managed Medicaid payer and got to learn a lot about how uh, healthcare is paid for and that whole other side of things. 
all the while still being an OB hospitalist in the clinical side. And then soon after that, I received an opportunity to become the chief medical officer for the hospital where I started my private practice. So I got to go back as a hospital administrator, and that's what I've been doing for a little over three years now. Lovely. What a great story. I'm really struck by how each person's leadership journey is very unique. As I listen to yours, the the thought of dual citizenship, going to residency, meeting your husband, starting your practice, looking for brain space. I love that notion of a field trip and how that led you into an executive (laughs) role. All of that just sounds really smooth and well thought out. And yet I know there's a number of physicians that are in a space where they're feeling isolated and maybe reluctant to acknowledge like what path they're on, how they got there. It's feeling kind of choppy. As you reflect on on your leadership journey, imagine that maybe it's been organized into some chapters, maybe four or five chapters. If you were to capture maybe a word or a phrase to describe each of those chapters, what what would come to mind? Ooh, I like that one. But something you just said made me pause because you said, all of that sounds really well thought out. And in my head, I'm thinking, none of that was thought out. None of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> None of it was set up. When I finished my residency, I was ready to do what I was trained to do. And I had this dream of something completely different. So when you say it sounds well thought out, I think for people who know there's something more, but they just don't know, or maybe they're feeling stuck, I emphasize that at some point I realized that I didn't have to know the next 10 to 12 steps in order to get there, I just had to know the first two. Mm. And it was that realization that allowed me to step out of, for me, it was private practice to step out of that and say, you know, I have no idea what these next five to 10 years are going to bring, but I got to try it or else this pain is going to be too much. I can't, I got to do something. So I'm careful to say that because I, I see a lot of physicians right where I was and where we all are at different chapters of our lives. So anyway, that's completely not related to your question, but it's completely related. And actually, as you say that, I'm going to look up Jonathan Fisher just posted a poem by David White that was almost exactly in poetry what you were just saying about we don't need to know the next 10 or 12 steps. We just need to know the next step. I'm going to look it up real quick here. Does that question resonate with you thinking about as you organize your life into some chapters? Maybe if they (laughs) weren't smooth and connected, what were they? One chapter wrote the next. I had to have one chapter in order to get to my next chapter. If you had asked me eight years ago what chapter four would be, I couldn't tell you. Mm. And I think that's really uncomfortable for physicians because we are raised in this, like I had to know I was going to be a physician when I was 18, at least in my mind, a lot of us, because you have to do pre-med, right? And then you have to do the prerequisites and then you do the MCAT and then you do med school. Like we are trained to train for that next step. Yes. And when I was 20, I could tell you what I was going to be doing at 28 because that was already planned out. And then once we get to this point and I call it the plateau, you're like, well, wait a minute, this is going to be 10 years from now. For me, it was, no, it can't be this in 10 years. It's got to look different. It has to look, it's not prescribed. For the Mm -hmm. first time, I didn't have a prescription or someone telling me what I had to do, A, B, C, and D to get to that next step. 
And that's been very scary. So, you know, when I look at the chapters that had to write each other, that's why I'm careful to explain that. But I've already alluded to that first chapter, which I would call, in one word, I would call it confusion. Mm-hmm. You know, first chapter is you you get to this place and getting out of student debt, and I'm finally at my my place of practice, and I'm interacting with patients. And for me, I was doing surgeries and delivering babies and connecting with patients, and it was fantastic. And I was tired, and also there was a lot I didn't understand, and there was a lot I didn't understand, and so I couldn't control it. And for me, I needed to know, well, well, how do I change A, B, or C, or how do I control the things I don't necessarily agree with? Or how can I change things so that I can balance my life and make a living? And there were things, a lot of things I I wasn't trained to do. I was really trained to be a good physician, but the other things I wasn't. And for me personally, that was confusing because I knew that I didn't want to sustain that lifestyle. I could not sustain that lifestyle for the next 30 years of practice. So what did I need? How was I going to do that? Mm-hmm. And so that was my first chapter, and it led right into second chapter, which I will call jump. And I call it jump because I remember having a conversation with some very dear friends of ours, and just explaining where I was. And my friend was like, "You know, Karen, you're you just got to jump. You got to jump because if you don't jump off this platform, your feet are going to burn." It was just painful, so I did jump. I jumped into something that was really scary, but again, it was those first two steps that I could see, which was, I need space, I need something different so that I can figure that out. And that was, for me, the equation was OB hospitalist work, so I could still do women's health, but I I needed a different schedule to figure that out. And so in that chapter called Jump, I would say I took my brain space and I took a chance and I applied for a program at Harvard. And, you know, I started out by saying I am extremely blessed to be married to a physician because, number one, that gives me some latitude to, you know, at different times it's been his turn, at different times it's been my turn. And that was my turn. So he was supportive and he also understood what I needed to do because mm. we feel a lot of the same things. So, he knew that my needs to grow in certain ways. He's like, yeah, it's really important. It's important for me too. So during that chapter, I got to, like I said, go back and forth and be a student, but really learn and apply the things in real time that I was learning and experience it with other physicians from all around the country, which was a huge, wow, it was a really fulfilling experience. And part of that is just my inner nerd too, right? I loved <laughs> I loved learning about how is healthcare paid for and what are these policies and what is this thing called the ACA and how do we make money? What is a financial statement and what does that look like? And what is the actual cost and what are the black boxes that have always been mysterious to me? So I found that very fulfilling. The third chapter, I think I would call Be Brave because when I finished my degree, I felt equipped. I had all of this knowledge that I, and, and I had a great experience. And now I was like, at the time I thought, oh, now it's time for me to use it. So what am I going to do? 
And that's when I got a job as a chief medical director at a pair. <laughs> I remember the first month I had, uh, I had lunch with one of the executives and she looked at me and she said, you know, you really are brave. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I get it now because what she meant was I had no payer experience. I had a lot of zest for learning it and I wanted to impact the lives of women and children because I'm an OB, right? And Medicaid has, that's a lot of the population. And I learned a lot, even more than that. And I also found out that I, I personally belonged on the provider side. I needed to be in a different interaction with patients and, and staff and caregivers. And so I was brave again to be able to realize that and say, well, I got to make a move. At the same time that I was realizing that, an opportunity came to me to be chief medical officer at our hospital. And I stepped into that. And uh, wow, it's been a huge learning experience as well with so much change in healthcare. And, you know, you and I are recording this now amidst coronavirus, which has thrown us on our side. And so being brave during this time too, I have witnessed it with our healthcare workers and, and everybody that's taken to turn this Titanic in such a quick turnaround. Um, and it takes me to my next chapter. And I think it's a chapter that, honestly, I think COVID has forced a lot of us to be in. But I do see it as something that's taking me to my next chapter in my career. And I don't know what that looks like, but I, I'm naming it Be Still. Mm. And for me, Be Still and Know is I'm at a point now where I have checked all the boxes. I have taken all the tests. I have done all the things I'm supposed to do. I have worked hard. I have tested that paradigm that if you work harder, you can get through it, which doesn't work, (laughs) by the way. You learn a lot, but and now I'm at a point where I am needing to be very still and understand what I need to be fulfilled as a healer and what will fulfill me for the next 20 years. So, That's chapter four. Well, I am feeling very still right now listening to you. Such a powerful story, which interestingly started with you saying, I didn't have a prescription. So, (laughs) you know, when a a book starts out with that title, you know, the chapters could be titled anything. So how beautiful that it includes confusion and fantastic. It includes things like the inner nerd. That's so good. <laughs> a lot of zest. And then to be in this global pandemic and to name this chapter, Be Still, I'm struck. I just looked up the post that Jonathan Fisher posted. He's a cardiologist on LinkedIn. Hmm. And his post resonates. It seems to me it's very linked with what you're saying. And he writes, it took me 30 years to find my voice. Now, when I can't hear my inner voice or feel I'm unsure of where to start, and he cites a poem by David White called Start In Close. And I just want to read the first line. The poem says, start in close. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first. The first thing close in, the step you don't want to take. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Well, and to think that all of this could be positioning you 
to help others lead through chaos and confusion and their inner nerd and their their way to find their way to be still. It's really almost sounds poetic as you talk about this. And I get that poetry can be like awkward and sideways and uncertain. So thank you for those titles. So good. I'm thinking now there's a lot of talk about burnout. There's a lot of talk about disconnection from meaningful work. I'm curious to maybe take this in a different direction and explore a bit about when you think about a personal time or professional time, when you experienced deep flow, maybe it starts out through that your leadership journey or as a physician, but sometime when you experience flow, you felt particularly energized and really connected to whatever you're doing. What specifically was contributing to that sense of flow for you? I have to think about this because I think what brought me flow when I was in 100% clinical care, what started with flow was for me as an obstetrician gynecologist, it was doing the surgery. It was delivering the baby. It was having that intimate moment with my patient where I knew they trusted me. And we were in that place where I felt like I could make a difference. And at the end of those interactions was often a thank you. And I don't think I realized that that tangible satisfaction that we had, that we had had a connection and that something came out of that connection was there time and time and time again. And at some point, through burnout, through fatigue, you lose that tangible difference that you're making. You lose that awareness of it. And as a healthcare administrator, I still work clinically. And I I think I work clinically, although it's not as often as it used to be, but I still work clinically for that tangible connection. With that, I think about, okay, so when do I do that as a leader in the hospital with others, with employees, with other docs. And I think that tangible difference is where I find my flow is, is when you can see, and this work is harder because it's, there is not a finite end to this work. There's, there are projects, right? We can work on getting an office for the hospitalist. We can redo the doctor's lounge where that, that end and that flow and that connection that you see that you've made something better That's the flow for me. I think now when I interact with other physicians and I tap into, we have a connection because they share with me where they'd like to go and we talk about how we get there and you can see that little, there's a little light that comes back. I think that's where that flow comes for me now. So beautiful. I suspect it has something to do with your ability to pull apart. I have to look up the author who said this, but there's a researcher who talks about our acquired values, like living a life according to what I was trained, you know, what I learned growing up versus living according to our core values. And they can certainly be aligned. They can certainly overlap. Part of what I hear you saying is throughout your journey, really gaining more clarity on those core values and that awareness of how those conversations, those projects can really align with that. That's a beautiful story. Tell us about maybe another experience. I'm, I'm going to get into maybe the darker side, but I want to ask one more experience you've had as a physician or as a leader is a particular high point. And again, I'm curious what specifically contributes to that positivity that you've experienced. Yeah. 
For me, it was um, making the decision and having the opportunity to finish my master's in some master's in healthcare management, which is really a hybrid between an MBA and an MPH. And that two-year experience for me was a high point because, like I said, it wasn't online. For me, I needed to go and sit in it. And what I got to do was disconnect from my reality just for short amounts of time and engage myself in what I could feel was I was engaged in learning and growing. And I think, you know, we've talked about the plateau that you hit. Right. And I think what I learned during that experience and why it was such a high point for me was I got to get off the plateau. <laughs> I got mm-hmm. to... Mm-hmm. I got to, you know, physicians are, we're intelligent. We like to be engaged and learn. We like to be interactive. And that's what we've done for so long is learn and get to that next step and, and keep developing. We've developed ourselves year after year to get to a point. And then when we stop that, that's where I see a lot of us get very jolted and what next. And so I think for me to be in that experience of engagement and development, I got to feel that again. For not everybody, I don't think all of us would have to go back to school to do that. Maybe it's engaging in a new hobby or a new something totally outside of medicine. But to be engaged in developing and growing, I think is natural for us and it's fulfilling. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And, and sometimes I think that comes with unlearning some behaviors to give us space to learn new knowledge or behaviors or skills. So you've talked about this a couple of times. I want to see if there's any other thoughts you want to add in. You've talked a bit about how after medical training, you know, you had an idea of this ideal position you wanted to get into. And then once you got there, there was a whole variety of emotions from being excited. It was fantastic. I sense there was also some elements of disappointment. Mm-hmm. What else would you be willing to share about your experience of hitting that plateau or maybe being in a role that didn't match your hopes and expectations? And more specifically, I'm wondering what was hard about that and what did you do to make that better? Hmm, Sandy, that's a I need to think about that one for a second. I think for me, when I was in practice, what was hard for me was I knew how to be a good physician, but I also knew that there were things that needed to change in order for me to be an even better physician. And that was being involved in different aspects of my practice that could help it grow and mature and stay efficient and interact with my patients the way I wanted to, but I didn't have the skills outside of the clinical to make those things happen. And when I didn't, that's where I became very frustrated because I found that somebody else was telling me how to do it and I disagreed with it. And it's not that I disagreed with it because it was all wrong, but it was because I needed to be a part of it and I wasn't. Does that make sense? Big time. Mm -hmm. And I really needed to be a part of that decision in the change for my patients and for me. And when I couldn't, that's when I knew, well, and when I couldn't actually, quite honestly, that's when I became disengaged and I got pissed. Mm -hmm. I just was mad because I didn't understand why I felt like I was hitting, I had just gotten to, I hit a wall and I disengaged and I was mad. And for a bit, I complained a bit 
and that was uncomfortable because I knew that wasn't me. <laughs> I was not, I'm not a complainer. Gosh, and I, you know, honestly, I remember being in that place and I remember one week I lost three patients in one week mm. and that was not me. I knew that wasn't me. And it was kind of, I needed that to reflect, to say, you are in a place that, that you are, know that you're not yourself. You can't stand yourself. And now you're in a place where you can't hide that from patients either. So I knew that I had to spin that frustration and step away from it and figure that out. This is such a gem. I just so got this big time that when you talked about, for any of us, you know, this human experience where none of us like to be told what to do, we'd way rather be part of the solution. And we know from human development, like that's when we come up with a better solution. So what a gem you've given us in terms of how to support physicians to help create the future by administrators and even dyad teams understanding that when any one of us is telling someone else, it does. It's a, a recipe for disengagement, for hitting a wall, for just not feeling right. And I think that is such a powerful aha because it doesn't require a budget item. It doesn't require another degree. It really is somehow reinventing ways that we show up to be with each other, to be a part of the solution together. And that's so powerful. Agreed. So good. Okay. So I am looking at the clock and what I would love to do is have you maybe tell us a bit about how people can get a hold of you. And then I'd love to schedule another time to do a deeper dive into some physician leadership lessons and really probing a bit into how you see the future for physicians. So how can people get a hold of you? Well, I am on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only Karen Fowler on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled K-A-R-Y-N. And then last name is F as in Frank, O-W-L-E-R. So I think if you search me on LinkedIn and send me a connect, that would be easiest. Awesome. And then maybe just a moment to share any closing thoughts for today's conversation. You know, Sandy, I think... I found myself sharing a lot about what took me from chapter one to two to three. And I hope that at least through sharing my story, it normalizes it for people who might be listening and find themselves in maybe chapters that are similar for themselves. I hope that it resonates and allows people to be a little bit vulnerable and brave to figure out what their next step is. So beautiful. I love the notion that I suspect a lot of us, especially in times of stress or frustration, really want a prescription for the next step. So one of the things that is so beautiful about your story is that you, you said there actually was not a prescription. And here is one way that a story can unfold. This is my way a story unfolded. So for me personally, it's been very empowering to listen to. Thank you for being brave. And thank you for really bringing a sense of stillness into our conversation today. Thanks, Sandy. It's been fun. 